Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We're a hungry people, and you're a God with great spiritual food for us this morning. So we're looking forward to all you're going to feed us with today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Genesis 42, verse 5. Verse 5. Please follow along here. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was the governor of the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby you shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go forth hence and tip. Your youngest brother, come hither. Send one of you, let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether they be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, but go. Ye carry corn for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. That's as far as we'll go. Now, in our last study, we saw how the famine hit hard. It hit the house of Jacob really hard, and it was driving them to look to the only place where there was food, which was Egypt, of all places. And we saw just how the thought of Egypt just paralyzed 
the Joseph's brothers because they were in so much fear as they realized that was the place where their crime went to, where they buried Joseph into a life of slavery. And meanwhile, Jacob, he's suspicious. He's always been suspicious of his sons, been long been suspicious of them. He didn't trust them. But finally, when it came to a point where he had to order his sons to get themselves down into Egypt unless they should starve to death. But Jacob was fearful that if he let Benjamin go down there, he might lose his last son from the wife that he loved, Rachel, so he didn't let Benjamin go. And so that brought us to the sons now arriving into Egypt in verse five, where we see, and the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Can't you just picture those brothers there as they're coming to Egypt to buy corn there, and especially with the word among, among, and it paints a whole scene for us so we can see them saying to each other, now boys, let's just blend in here. <laughs> let's not try to stand out. Let's not try to look unusual. Let's just get in and out as fast as we can with no hangups, right? Okay, but that was not to be the case because we read in verse six, Joseph was the governor over the land and he it was that sold to the people of the land. How inconvenient for them. <laughs> that Joseph is the person who directly decides who and how much food should be sold. When it says that, that he was governor over the land, the Hebrew word is shalit, shalit, which is the same as the Arabic word sultan, sultan. So here we see Joseph, he's hard at work, he's carefully doing his job, and he knows that the survival of the country that he has committed to save, Egypt, and also those who came to him from outside of Egypt, it all depended on who he sold to and how much he sold to. I told you in Ethiopia, I saw this guy carrying this big bag said USAID on it, USAID. It was all full of rice that was given for free by our money to the Ethiopians so they would starve to death. And this guy was carrying it into a store and selling it, you know? So that's what happens over there in the Middle East, Middle East. Trust me, I come from Middle East County. So <laughs> anyway, so Joseph here, he's watching very carefully over the food in verse five. So at this arrangement, it looks like the foreigners, they had to make a direct request to him. So immediately after Joseph was appointed by Pharaoh to be the rule in the land, you know what he did? You remember what he did immediately after he was appointed to be ruling the land? You remember? Couldn't. what did he do? What are you going to say, Tom? He went right to work. And what he did, it says in chapter 41, verse 45, chapter 41, verse 45, Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he was just all over the place. And then in verse 46 of chapter 41, it again, it says that he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, when you read about that, and you think about that, that there was Joseph, he's traveling over all the land of Egypt, which means he's going to the east and the west and the north and the south. And is that something in there that strikes with you as a little strange? I mean, Joseph is now a free man, He's the ruler over Egypt. He's traveling all over Egypt. You see something strange about that? Is there a question that comes to your mind when you see that? What? Okay, that's one question. I was thinking of, he's traveling all over Egypt. You know, why didn't he just go to Canaan? 
to visit his dad and tell him, I'm all right. You know, why didn't he do that? I mean, after all, he's, he's traveling a lot longer distances when he goes all over Egypt than it would be for him to just go over and see dad. It's Father's Day today now. <laughs> Can you picture Joseph coming to that border of Egypt where he crossed over from Canaan to Egypt and looked at border and looking over and says, oh, I remember that road. Oh, do I remember that road? I remember that road that crossed into Egypt. I came over that road as a slave. And how well I know that just over there is Canaan, where my father is. All I'd have to do now is just cross over the border, and in no time I could see dad. He is so clearly concerned about his father because the first question that he asks his brothers after he reveals himself to them is in it will be coming up here, Genesis 45.3, Genesis 45.3, where we will read, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, does my father yet live? So that's what he's so concerned about, is his father. He wanted so much to see his father before his father died. So why do you think that Joseph now, after he's the ruler, and he can do what he wants, and he's traveling all over Egypt, and he comes to the border there, and he just doesn't decide, well, just keep on going. Just keep on going so I can see dad. He's became ruler in Egypt. It's 13 years since he's seen his father. And we think that, you know, would have been good for him to say, okay, so why do you think that Joseph did not go home when he could to see his dad? Oh, he remembers them. Yeah, right. So these are all great answers. And really they boil down to the one reason why he doesn't go back is because of God. That's the one reason he doesn't go back. It's because he's being led of the Lord. God was obviously not leading him at that point to go to his father, even though he wanted to go, because the Lord was busy leading them to repentance, and he wasn't sure that they have changed their attitude. And so it might have been ruined if Joseph just went home, and, and he didn't go home because, even though he wanted to, because he was a child of God. And what it means to be a child of God is in Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And he was led by the Spirit of God, even though he wanted to go home. He wanted to go home, so he could have said, I want to go home, therefore God wants me to go home. He didn't do that. He wanted to go home, but he didn't go home because he was led of the Spirit of God to not go home. Now, at long last now, after 23 years, Joseph just can't believe his eyes in verse 6 when it says, Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, Joseph now, when he sees this, he sees the fulfillment of his dreams. This is a fulfillment of his dreams. It's right before his eyes here. In Genesis 37, 7, when he dreamt and he said, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, bowed down, to my sheaf. And if that wasn't enough, then there was another dream. Well, of course, then the brothers chime in, says, you're going to reign over us? You're going to have a dominion over us? And they hated him. Remember, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he has another dream about stars. And so, now, during this time 
of the famine, Joseph has been watching for his brothers to come. He's not only been watching for them to come, he's been yearning for his brothers to come. And Joseph has seen delegation after delegation come from the world to buy food from him. And all the while, he's hoping and hoping that his brothers would come. Freeze that picture in your mind because that's a very important picture because as we see this picture of Joseph, happy to feed the Egyptians, oh, happy to save the Egyptians, happy to feed the world, so happy to save the world, but longing for his own brothers to come to him, that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who is happy to see Gentiles come to him and he's happy to save them and he's happy to see people come from the uttermost parts of the earth to him and to be saved. He's happy to save them. But just as it was with Joseph, so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's watching for his own Jewish people to come to him to be saved. And just as it was with Joseph, so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's yearning for his own people to come to him. And that's what we are doing in Jewish evangelism and everybody who's in Jewish evangelism. You remember in this chapter how in verse 1, that we asked the question, how did Jacob know that there was corn for sale down in Egypt? Well, it was because of those who came from Egypt, the travelers or the people who lived around him who came from Egypt, and they were sitting there with food to eat. They were eating, and they came from Egypt. And you remember how the sons of Jacob, in verse 1, they would not go down to Egypt because they might meet their brother who they despised and rejected. Well, in Jewish evangelism, we are like the travelers who've come from Egypt, and we've been fed by Joseph. And in Jewish evangelism, we're going out of our way to tell the Jewish people that our Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, has fed us, and he has plenty of food for you too. And just like Jacob's sons, who would not go down to Egypt because they might meet Joseph, who they were prejudiced against, and they despised and rejected Joseph. In the same way, we understand why the Jewish people do not come in masses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we'll probably knock on a million, close to a million doors this summer. So far, we've had one conversion. That'll probably be all, but who knows? You know, apart from that, it's a very successful campaign. <laughs> why? because they're prejudiced against the Lord Jesus Christ. They've despised and rejected him as being their God and their Messiah. They said, we will not have that man reign over us. And so just as these sons of Jacob did finally go down to Egypt and get food from Joseph, we know that one day the Jewish people will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's like we're traveling and we're going to Jacob's family and we're giving them maps in Jewish evangelism. We're giving them maps. This is the way you go down to Egypt. This is how you find your way to Joseph, and so you can get the food so you'll live. And that's all we're doing in Jewish evangelism is giving the Jewish people spiritual maps so that which tell them how they can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from their sins and live forever. Now, you remember that when the Egyptians bowed to Joseph, you remember what it said in Genesis 41, 43, when it says, and he made him, that's Joseph, to ride in the second chariot, which he had, Pharaoh did this. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So the Egyptian people 
bowed the knee to Joseph. But when Joseph's brothers come, we don't read they bowed the knee in verse 6. We read they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. (laughs) They put their faces in the dirt ground before Joseph. And notice how the statement in verse 6 calls them Joseph's brethren. Joseph's brethren bowed down to him. Now, that's very significant because they are called Joseph's brethren as they bow down to him because that is showing their relationship to Joseph, who is now their judge. He's standing as the judge over those that he is related or, let's say, tied to, tied to because of birth. And this picture of Joseph as the judge over his brothers that he's tied to because of birth, this shows us what it's like when all men stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to judge, and at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ will judge them as he is tied to them. What do I mean? How is the Lord Jesus Christ tied to them? Because of John 1.3. John 1.3, which says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 24.1 is a very important statement when it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He owns them. He made them. He owns them. John 1.10 says, he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. Every person is tied to or related to, so to speak, to the Lord Jesus Christ because every person has been made by him. And when he, the Lord Jesus, like Joseph, stands to judge every person, it's like Joseph is judging those that are tied to him as his brothers. And that's why there's such a war on creation. And that's why evolution is so passionately fought for, because it's man's feeble attempt to try to break the tie of creation, of how God, how the Lord Jesus is related to all men through creation, how he's related, how he's over all men, how they own him. And so adhering to this lie of evolution, they call it a theory, I call it a lie, but it's a feeble attempt to cast his position as judge over them by being tied or related because he created them, and instead they just say, we weren't created, we just happened over billions and billions of years from subtle changes that started from a one-cell microorganism in some slime pit somewhere. <laughs> and we, I know we laugh, right? God laughs too. God laughs at that in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 1, it says, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? Or imagine a foolish thing. That's a really foolish thing I just said about the microorganisms. Why do they imagine that? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. Now, we read in verse 7, Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. Those are very impactful words. Very impactful words for Joseph when it says he saw his brethren and he knew them. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, Joseph noticed his brothers. Oh, I recognize, that's my brothers. Oh, yeah, that one, that's Reuben, Simeon, and all. You know, he didn't, that's not what it means. What it means when it says he saw and he knew them is that you can just see him stopping and gazing at them. 
And as he's gazing, he's percolating in his mind. He's thinking. And he's looking at each one, and he goes, oh, boy, I can't believe it. Here they all are as the group. What a familiar group that was to me. (laughs) Here they all are as a group. Here they all are as individuals within the group. It means his mind is being carried back to remember the last time when he saw them as the group, when they betrayed him, and they sold him as a slave. And now he remembers all the vivid details and all the dynamics, and there were a lot of dynamics, between the brothers as individuals that made up this group. And he sees them all with their individual personalities. And it's all coming back to him as he sees this. And he's all, it's all going back to Genesis 37, verse 19, Genesis 37, 19. And he's remembering when they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, let us slay him. Cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what would become of his dreams. He didn't hear that because he was still a way off. But nevertheless, he saw it in their faces. And then Reuben heard it in verse 21 of Genesis 37. Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. Reuben said unto him, Shed no blood but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness. They lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread. See, as Joseph now is looking at this group of his brothers, Joseph remembers how they all, as a group, stripped him of his coat And as a group, they cast him into that pit, that waterless pit in the desert to die. And as a group, they sat down to eat bread in total disregard to his cries. And Joseph remembers this group as he sees them. And he's got this opportunity to see the group together again. He remembers all these vivid details. And then he looks at Reuben and he remembers that there was something different about Reuben because he just didn't seem as engaged as the rest of that group. And he wondered, maybe Reuben may have come back, try to deliver me to my father. And then it says in verse, it keeps on going to verse 37, chapter 37, verse 25. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, their camels bearing spicery balm, myrrh going down to Egypt. Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand to be upon him. He's our brother in our flesh. And so now Joseph, we can see him as the group before him. He's now turned his eyes to Judah. And he remembers hearing Judah make this proposal. Let's make some money on this, boys. Let's sell him. And then we don't have to go to the bother of trying to conceal his blood or his bones or whatever is left here. And Joseph looks. Can you see Joseph looking at Judah now? Can you see him just kind of really gazing and wondering and all these thoughts. And he's thinking to himself, Judah, how could you have made that proposal about me? And they don't know. And then it said, in the last part of Genesis 37, verse 27, it says, and his brethren were content. And now Joseph returns his eyes to look at the group again and wonders how all of you could have been content. How could you all have been in agreement to sell me as a slave? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.